Six insane murders caused by social media. Social media has transformed our society from the way we communicate, spend time with friends, find new people, and more. It's become a part of our lives. While social media has its advantages, it also has its flaws. These are six insane murders caused by social media. Number six, Edward Richardson. It was May of 2008 when Sarah Richardson's body was found inside her home. She had over 40 lacerations and stab wounds. A delivery girl reported finding both broken glass and blood at the home, so police were called. When news of Sarah's murder became public, it shocked the peaceful and quiet neighborhood of Staffordshire, England. Forty minutes after the discovery of her body, police got another call saying a man who was a victim of a knife attack was found in a field all bloody. The injured man turned out to be 41-year-old Edward Richardson, Sarah's husband. He had suffered cuts all around his neck and police were determined he was trying to commit suicide. Authorities took him to the hospital and then later he was arrested. During the interviews, he told officers he stabbed his wife but couldn't remember why he did it. When he was told his wife had died, he was distraught. According to police, the two had broken up. And friends say Sarah still loved Richard, but there were serious problems in the marriage and Sarah didn't want to be part of it anymore. With that, she started ignoring Edward's text messages. Then later, she changed her Facebook relations status to single. This triggered something within Edward, and he decided to pay Sarah a visit. He entered the home by breaking the front door window. The moment he entered, he looked for Sarah and found her in the bedroom. He attacked her and brutally stabbed her with a knife. Afterward, he turned to suicide. Edward was arrested for the murder. The case shocked many because changing a relationship status seemed like the last thing that could result in murder, but it was certainly the case here. Richardson was found guilty of murdering Sarah and sentenced to a minimum term of 18 years in prison. Number 5. Alyssa Bustamante Alyssa Bustamante from St. Martin's, Missouri seemed like a normal teenager. A bit rebellious and awkward, yeah, but no one thought she would be deeply troubled. She grew up in a bad home. Her mother was a drug addict while her father was imprisoned. So between 2002 and 2009, Alyssa, along with her younger siblings, were raised by their grandparents. Once her grandparents took custody of them, they decided to have a fresh start and move from California to a rural ranch-like property in Missouri. When she moved, Alyssa thrived in high school, getting both A's and B's. To her friends, she looked normal. She wrote poems and loved to joke around. She was also an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But something snapped in her in 2007 and she attempted suicide. Her grandparents realized that she was suffering from some mental health problems decided to get her help. She stayed at a psychiatric hospital for 10 days and was prescribed antidepressants. Soon after this, she began cutting herself and often showed her scars to her friends. Alyssa then became an entirely different person online. Her Twitter feed talked about hating authority, and on her YouTube and MySpace, she listed her hobbies as cutting and killing people. 
more disturbing in one of her YouTube videos. She tried to get two of her brothers to touch an electrified fence. Then on October 21st, 2009, Alyssa made her darkest fantasy come to life. She asked her sister to invite her neighbor, nine-year-old Elizabeth Olton, to come play at their house. Elizabeth often visited Alyssa's home, playing with her and her siblings. And that day, Elizabeth begged her mother to let her go out and play at Alyssa's house. Although it was late, she allowed her daughter to go for a few minutes, and she left their house at 5 p.m. But an hour later, when she still hadn't come home, her mother knew something was wrong. The next day, the FBI interviewed Alyssa regarding Elizabeth's disappearance. They also searched her home and seized her diary. Authorities then found a shallow grave in the backyard. Alyssa said she simply liked to dig holes, but further investigation revealed there was another shallow hole in the area, and this one contained Elizabeth's body. Alyssa was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Authorities revealed a journal entry that stated how she had killed someone. She admitted strangling, slitting their throat, and stabbing them. She also said it was amazing. In court, she also confessed to the killing. The defense argued that Alyssa's depression and her medications resulted in her doing the act. Alyssa Bustamante was tried as an adult. She pleaded guilty and accepted a plea deal for second-degree murder to avoid the death penalty. She was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years. Number 4. Facebook Deathless no one knows for sure who posted it, who created it, and why, but police in a southwestern Colombian town were baffled when a 69-name hit list was posted on Facebook in a span of 10 days. According to Colombian police, they believe the hit list was posted and distributed online by criminal gangs trying to instill fear and anguish in the local community. Not only were the names posted on Facebook for everyone to see, but they were also sent to several people whose names were on the list. The threat was that those whose names were on there needed to leave town within three days, otherwise they would be killed. The first portion of the list was distributed on Facebook and MSN Messenger on August 15, 2010, and two more lists were then issued. Soon enough, at least three teens, 16-year-old Diego Jeremilo, 19-year-old Norby Vargas, and 16-year-old Ibart Ruiz Munez were shot dead. Another teen, Juan Palo Anacona, who was 16, was wounded in the attack as well. All of them were named on the list. The killings in Puerta Asis, Colombia are baffling and authorities don't know why these teens were being targeted. The individuals mentioned were known to be regular high school kids who stayed out of trouble out of fear, many of the teens on the list are weary of allowing people who are not their friends to message them on Facebook. However, those who are familiar with Puerta Asis will realize its familiar history along with much of southwestern Colombia. The area used to be the main ground for the United Self-Defense Forces of Colombia, known as AUC. This was a paramilitary force backed by the government against the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. AUC often used military force and intimidated people to take back rebel-controlled areas. 
These same tactics are now copied by criminal and narco gangs in order to make drug trafficking in the area easier. Residents of the small town have responded with a massive exodus, sending away their children regardless of their name being on the list or not. Colombian authorities have vowed to restore order and said they already made arrests and are asking for more information about the threats. Number three, Daniel Garcia Manzano. There are several versions of this story online. Well, it's hard to determine which one is legitimate. This unusual crime did in fact happen. One story goes that Sarah Elston of Brisbane, Australia was hoping for a reconciliation. Her ex-boyfriend, Daniel Garcia Manzano, had just messaged her on Facebook and suggested they meet up. Elston was a creative artist and once described Manzano as crazy, but a good kind of crazy. Manzano visited Elston in her apartment sometime in June of 2008, and when she turned her back, she was frantically stabbed with a knife. Several of the neighbors heard her screaming, but disturbances in the area were common, so her screams went ignored. It wasn't until the next day when Elston's body was found inside her apartment. Police arrested Daniel Garcia Manzano for the murder. It turns out Elston didn't know that Daniel was suffering from acute paranoid schizophrenia and was on medications. In fact, he was under an involuntary treatment order. Later on, he was found to be mentally unfit to stand trial and was placed in a secure psychiatric hospital indefinitely. However, there's another version of the story posted online. And this one was made by a commenter who said that Sarah Elston and Daniel were never a couple at all. Sarah, along with her friend, had been approached by Manzano while they were at a bar one time. He began following her home each night and became her stalker of sorts. Sarah was said to be friendly and a kind girl and decided to approach Manzano in a friendly way to make him stop stalking her. One night, she agreed to invite him over to her place. When Garcia arrived, Elston was with another friend at the time. Sarah asked her other friend to excuse himself so the two could speak alone, but when she turned around, Manzano pulled out a knife that he had brought with him and began stabbing her multiple times. The next day, they discovered her mutilated body despite neighbors hearing screams coming from her apartment. Police initially questioned Sarah's other friend, but later discovered about Garcia Manzano. When they found him and questioned him, he confessed to the crime without any remorse. This second story is said to be taken from the actual police report. Regardless of which version of the story is true, the fact remains that a young woman's life was cruelly taken from her without warning. Number 2. Adam Mann After divorcing in 2007, Adam Mann and his ex-wife, Lisa Beverly, didn't exactly have an amicable relationship. Mann, from Welling, London, and Beverly, from Plumstead, were having an increasingly volatile relationship. On September 16, 2009, Mann called the child support agency and told them he had no more money for child support and that he would not be paying. But just a day before, Beverly called the CSA and told them Mann lied about being unemployed. 
As a result, he was sent a letter demanding payments of 400 pounds. Beverly then updated her Facebook profile with a message saying, now who's laughing? You've got dumb big time by the CS, so now leave us alone for good. Your son hates you, and so do I. The following day, Lisa Beverly was found dead in her home. She had been brutally attacked, stabbed several times, and her neck slashed with a knife. Her five-year-old son ended up finding her body in the living room, covered in a pool of blood. The child called his grandfather, as he was taught to do whenever his mother would go into a diabetic coma. But instead of finding his mother in a state like that, Stephen Beverly was confronted with the sight of his mother's dead body. Adam Mann was arrested for killing his ex-wife. He initially denied the killing, saying Beverly had contacted him to help her stage a robbery at their home for insurance. When he got there, he found her dead, but still took several items, and he never checked on his son or called emergency services. During the trial, of course, the jury found Mann guilty of murdering his wife. He's been sentenced to 24 years in prison. Number 1. Farmville Murders It started with MySpace. Richard McCroskey III was a 20-year-old aspiring horrorcore rapper from Castro Valley, California. Known to his friends and fans as Sicko Sam, he often posted his music online on MySpace. It was on this same platform he met 16-year-old Emma Niederbrock. Emma was also into horrorcore and lived with her mother, Professor Deborah Kelly, at their Farmville, Virginia home. On September 17, 2009, police were asked to do a welfare check. They visited the home of Dr. Deborah Kelly. Inside, they discovered several bodies, all of them bludgeoned to death. Three of them were found in the downstairs bedroom, while another body was found in the upstairs bedroom. It turns out, days before the killing, Emma and her friend, Melanie, went to Michigan to watch a horrorcore concert. Together with them was McCroskey. He had flown from California to visit Niederbrock and watch the concert with her. Both Deborah and Pastor Mark Niederbrock took the trio to the concert. Even though the couple had separated already, they were still involved in raising their daughter. Once they were in Michigan, there seems to have been a falling out between Niederbrock and McCroskey. According to reports, McCroskey was mad when he found out Emma sent several messages to somebody else while there. Once they returned to Virginia, he became distraught in the relationship because he thought he and Emma were seeing each other exclusively. It's unclear when the actual murder took place, but it's believed to have occurred the late evening of September 15, 2009, or early the next morning. It's thought McCroskey attacked Emma's friend, Melanie, who was sleeping on the sofa at the time. After that, he headed to Dr. Kelly's room upstairs before heading downstairs to Emma's bedroom. McCroskey used a ball-peen hammer to strike each victim in the head. According to the autopsy, it's likely no one woke up during the attack since there were no defensive wounds. As for pastor Mark Niederbrock, he visited the home three days later on September 17th at about 5 p.m. McCroskey then attacked him in the living room and later moved the bodies there to try to clean the den. At some point, McCroskey even recorded himself on video, noting he would need to pay for his crimes. 
Before the murders were discovered, Melanie Wells' mother called the police to do a welfare check on her daughter. When authorities headed to the Kelly home, they spoke with the man there, who was actually McCroskey. He told officers Wells was out to the movies with a friend, and they didn't investigate further. The following day, Wells' mother called police again, and so the officers headed back to the home. McCroskey had already left by then, and that's when police discovered the bodies inside. Oddly, as McCroskey left the home, he used Mark Niederbrox's 2000 Honda. He was stopped by a deputy and given a summons for driving without a license. The officer who issued the summons didn't find him suspicious at all, and it was only later that they realized they had let go a murder suspect. They later found McCroskey at the Richmond International Airport on September 18th. He was trying to get home to California but didn't have enough money to pay the difference for his ticket. McCroskey was charged with six counts of capital murder. He pleaded guilty to four of them and was sentenced to life in prison. So there were six insane murders caused by social media. We all use social media for entertainment. None of us think doing so could be harmful or worse, could cause us problems. These people never saw it coming either, that social media can be quite deadly. We have new videos coming out every Wednesday and Saturday that we know you'll want to check out. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.